Hey, it's Mark. This week's series of mini episodes taped live at the health conference in Vegas continues with digital editor Jack O'Brien. Welcome to the MM&M Podcast. I'm Jack O'Brien, digital editor at MM&M. My guest today is April Mims from Hims and Hers. April, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's kind of a marathon here at Health. It is. But I'm surviving. <laughs> well, kind of to that front, I wanted to start our conversation there. You know, what has your health experience been like? We're here in Vegas and we're on day two now. So yes. what's it been? It's been a whirlwind. Um, I've been learning about all different types of booth that I wasn't aware of. There's a puppy booth, everyone. So just in terms of mental health and sanity, if you just feel like you need a cuddle, stop by the puppy booth. But um, <laughs> I'm also really excited about the focus on health equity, which I know we're going to be talking about a little bit more today. I had the opportunity to participate in a breakfast this morning that was um, hosted by the National Health IT Collaborative for the Underserved where they brought together thought leaders from Hims and Hers and Salesforce and um, Amazon Web Services. And we were all just talking about, you know, how we can utilize data more effectively. You know, what does it mean for health equity? How do we measure outcomes? Um, So that was a really great way to kick off the conference and really put me in the right frame of mind. And as I go to different booths, I'm sort of thinking about how are these organizations trying to incorporate equity or are they not? So it's been, it was a really great frame to, to start with and really kicked off the conference on the right foot for me. It's really interesting that you bring that up. And, I, and like you said, we were going to focus our conversation primarily on that. I'm curious when you look at the broader DEI landscape, what are some of the most pressing, outstanding issues as it relates to actually accomplishing you know, some of those tenants that may have been set out a couple mm-hmm. years ago when it really became a priority for a lot of corporations, but especially in the healthcare space? Yeah, and I've had an interesting front seat to this, having been in the startup tech world for about seven or eight years now. And so when I first kicked off my journey in equity, um, I was working at a nonprofit in the D.C. area and then learned about a job in New York, ended up moving after that to California to work for this small startup that had these pink mustaches on their cars. And it turned out that that was Lyft. And it was really the beginning of the, you know, the Obama administration was, was wrapping up. And I think folks were really thinking about how do we incorporate a lot of what people were excited about during that time into the tech sector. And I think also people starting to think about how does tech deliver on all of the promise that it had. Because it's not just about you know, consumers for certain demographic, but it's also about how do we deliver tech to people in health deserts or transportation deserts or, you know, food deserts. And so um, I was part of, you know, a small group of folks at that time that was able to build out what really became their lift equity arm, really thinking about how do we deliver transportation to different folks. And, you know, now fast forward several years, I think, especially in a post-George Floyd world, there is this expectation that you know, no matter where you sit in an organization, that you do have a commitment to DNI, and I think it really starts internally. This was part of our conversation earlier. You know, there's a lot of great work that can be done externally, but you know, before you can go out and really begin to be an advocate, it's important to look internally as well and to to make sure that um, you know that your company is doing what it can and that DNI is infused in the framework of your organization as well. 
And so it's been really encouraging to be part of Hims and Hers, Hers journey. We're only a five-year-old company, so we're still growing and learning every day. But um, over the past two years, especially in a pandemic world, it's been really heartening to see how the company has responded to some of these issues and really empowered me to take the mantle and represent the company in a lot of different spaces. So I think to answer your question in a very long-winded way, we're on the right foot. I think we know what we have to do, and I think it's just a matter of us all taking a responsibility, whether we sit in a DNI function or not, to, to moving forth a lot of these agendas. I appreciate you providing all that background. I, I wanted to drill down just a little bit to kind of understand maybe what's going on internally as it relates to DEI at Hims and Hers. If there are any sort of examples of maybe some initiatives or programs that have been put into place that you consider a success. Yeah, I'm really proud of the work that we're doing. I joined Hims and Hers in July of 2020. As you know, it was right after the George Floyd murders. We were in the middle of a pandemic, and I think we were all personally and professionally sort of grappling with what does this mean for America? What does this mean for all of us? How can we play a role? And I was really happy to learn that Hims and Hers, in addition to doing what everyone else was doing, which was like talking on social media about it, you know, you know, talking about the importance of justice, donating to various organizations that my boss at the time sat me down and she said, April, I know you have a background doing this work. I'm just going to give you a budget and do what you need to do so that we can do something meaningful and long-term in this space. And so that was the beginning of two projects that I'm really proud of that are continuing to grow at Hims and Hers. One is, is that we're on the advisory board of an organization called Business for America. They're an incredible organization that brings together different corporations, everyone from Patagonia to groups like Hims and Hers, to really think about what is the corporate role in increasing voter engagement. And why is voter engagement important to corporations? You know, why is it important to their employees? Why is it important for CEOs and executives to have um, a community and to have Americans that are happy and, and, and um, feel like they're represented in their various, you know, various places where they live? And so being a part of that advisory board has been a really wonderful experience, and Hims's, her's role in that as an advisor has been wonderful. The second opportunity that I've been really um, passionate about and happy to be a part of is we co-founded, along with the National Health IT Collaborative, Collaborative for the Underserved, the Telehealth Equity Coalition. So this started in February of 2021. I'm so happy I did it during my first six months at Hims and Hers because I was so naive that I said, let's take this on. And it, it was a, been a lot of work, but extremely rewarding. And the premise is really simple, which is everyone's excited about telehealth now. But in order for us to fully deliver on the promise of telehealth, we really need to make sure that it's accessible to more people. And that's everything we've been hearing about, about the digital divide, but also things that we don't think about, like trust and accountability. And so it's free to join, it's, which I think is very important if you're starting an, an equity organization. And we're also looking at data-driven initiatives. So there's a data fusion center where you can look at different health outcomes in various communities. And we really see ourselves as a convener. We have academics, we have um, different corporate corporate health organizations, academics, uh, individual practitioners who are part of the group. And it's been a really exciting two years to see that build out and have so many different guests share ideas. And we're really excited about 2023 and how we can continue to, to grow and build and share ideas and, and hopefully bring about some change. 
it sounds like there's a lot of strong momentum behind those initiatives there. I, I am curious, I know that you have a background in terms of working with some younger, more nimble companies, I think we can make the generalization there. I guess when you look at maybe some of the more larger institutional companies that may you know, not have as much flexibility in terms of pursuing DEI initiatives, I'm curious what you see in terms of maybe obstacles that they have to overcome and maybe the tools that they could tap into to be able to make more progress happen on that front. Right. Well, I think it all goes back to what I said before, which is I think a lot of times we look to, a de- to especially in a large institution, and think the DNI department is really important and we're going to give them resources and it's going to be up to them to hold the mantle for diversity and inclusion in our institution. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think the next generation of DNI is recognizing that this has to be a part of the this has to be a part of the expectations for every department. It has to be a part of the performance evaluation process for every department, not just how you achieve things, not just what you achieve, excuse me, but how you achieve change. And um, I think also part of it is that in a lot of DNI um, groups, whether they're you know employee resource groups, nothing against them, I think they're great. But a lot of times the burden rests on the members of that group to carry the mantle. So. You know, every time I think about, you know, Black History Month, I think about the fact that there are lots of um, black people in major institutions who are scrambling right now to try and put something together for black history. And it can be exhausting. And I think it just speaks to the fact that it really takes a community. And when you're putting the burden on a community that has traditionally been underserved to bring about change within the institution, they can't do it alone. So it takes allyship throughout the entire organization, and it takes the leadership saying, we expect this, and you're going to be judged, not just based on what you do, but how you do it. Are you doing it in a way that's inclusive? Are you bringing up leaders that reflect the fabric of America? And are you um, seeking out initiatives that only bring forth a return on investment, but also reflect the mission and values of the organization? I'm really curious if I can ask a follow-up question as it relates to the accountability aspect that you talked about earlier. We're now about two and a half years removed from the start of COVID, from the murder of George Floyd and that summer of racial unrest that we all went through in this country. Do you think that there has been meaningful progress that's been made? And I'm curious what you maybe make of the different DEI efforts we've seen across the board that many people pledged during that time, but then it's like two years later, have you actually followed through on that? Yeah, I mean, I think there, I think there have been changes. I mean, there have been states that are actually requiring for there to be more changes within the organization, whether it's, you know, in a certain state requiring that the board membership looks a certain way. And I don't necessarily always believe that you need to regulate change. I think that it starts from your leadership, and and then there's a, there's an impact there. But Um, During the breakfast this morning, it was really heartening to hear about all of the great work that a number of organizations like McKinsey and Salesforce are doing, um, not just to um, encourage DNI within the organization, but you know to fund entrepreneurs and CEOs that reflect the fabric of America. Because if you have a CEO or leadership that's diverse, it would follow that hopefully that organization would continue to reflect those values and principles. So that's really heartening to see that there's more money going to um, uh, different entrepreneurs that are people of color. I think that's something that really makes me feel. Uh, very optimistic about the future, especially having spent time in Silicon Valley. 
pivoting our conversation a little bit because our audience are primarily medical marketers that do work with pharma and biotech companies. And we actually had an interview earlier where we were talking about their focus on diversifying clinical trials, being able to bring in different you know, patient populations to be able to actually incorporate those voices into the products that they're testing. I'm curious what advice maybe you would pass along to those medical marketers in terms of understanding how the principles of DEI can then spread into their work of marketing, because that's an important point, too, of being able to reach your audiences through TV, YouTube, whatever you make of that in an effective way. Absolutely. You know, my advice, and there are other people who are far more skilled here, but what I found is, and what I've been advised by other people who are experts in the health equity space, is that you really need to meet people where they are. And that speaks to not just where you find people, um, but also you know, who is the spokesperson. And so I was really surprised entering the healthcare space to learn that a lot of organizations don't market or communicate with patients or different folks over social media. There seems to be still a stigma associated with that. And it, it's kind of crazy if you think about it, the fact that we, you know, the next generation live on their phones, that regardless of what your socioeconomic status is, we know through like Pew Research that over 80% of people have a cell phone. Why are you not on social media? And, you know, of course, we need to make sure that there's not misinformation happening through those different um, vehicles. But certainly if you're not using the technology where the people are, you're, it's a missed opportunity. And then also, you know, in terms of speaking to the messenger, I think there's a lot of work, great work being done with, you know, churches, faith leaders, um, you know, uh, community corner stores, pharmacies, whoever has credibility in the community, I believe that that's who you should be going to to help deliver your message because we know that there is a history of racism within the healthcare industry and that there are many folks who don't feel comfortable going into a doctor's office. Um, we had a great and heartening conversation about you know maternal health outcomes in this country and how you know as a person of color as a black woman you know when you go into a hospital it's not lost on you the fact that you know you're more likely to pass away or have complications and so it's so important that the people delivering these messages reflect the communities and already have the trust that's probably the best way that you're going to be able to get people to participate and, and want to be a part of these efforts. And is there anything that you would want to pass along to the healthcare leaders that might be listening to this conversation you know, when they turn on their podcast as it relates to that point that you talk about, which is the fact that there is a different lived experience for so many different you know, patients across the board given their backgrounds, whether that's race, ethnicity, gender, so on? The advice that I got when I was kicking off the Telehealth Equity Coalition, I spoke with Minyan Clyburn, who's the former FCC commissioner and has done a lot of work in the equity community, and her advice to me was, listen, the worst thing that you can do, especially as a well-funded corporation, is to go to you know, the population that you're trying to work with and to deliver the solution to them. Instead, you just need to sit and listen and hear what is actually they want to be done. And that's the way that you're going to, you know, to actually have those folks be invested in the experience and want to work with you moving forward. So I know it's very simple advice, but I think it's well taken. And I think a lot of us who are very excited and we get enthusiastic about a potential solution often forget that we actually need to ask people what they need. Mm -hmm. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's not profound advice. And, you know, 
I, I am curious going into 2023 because we only have less than two months at this point in, in I the refuse year. to believe that, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> but what can we expect on the horizon from Hims and Hers, especially on the DE&I front going into next year? Yeah, well, you know, telehealth is, and this is not groundbreaking, telehealth is such a game changer for communities of color. So as the head of public policy, I'm going to be working with my Hims and Hers hat to make sure in partnership with a number of different organizations that we're continuing to work to push for expansion of telehealth policy, especially at the state level. Um, I'm sure there's been a lot of conversation around the telehealth flexibilities and are they going to expire, are they going to get extended, but that is so important for a number of reasons, um, not just because it affects Medicare patients, but also because so many different state governments take direction from the federal government. And so you know, being able to access care where you live for providers to be able to um, access care where they need to, being able to use different modalities to be able to access virtual care is so important, especially for underserved communities. If you don't have access to a high-speed internet connection, sometimes a phone call does the job. Sometimes an asynchronous encounter does the job. As long as you can meet the standard of care, to me, on the policy front, that's where we really have an opportunity to continue to push forward and to make sure that we don't allow our governments to allow those things to expire because we can't move back 10 years. You know, so many folks have gotten a taste of the value of telehealth, how it can impact communities and provide access to care. So I really see a great opportunity there. And then on the telehealth equity coalition front, we're really excited about beginning to do more work at the state level. We've been spending the past year or two really building our coalition, building trust within the communities, and um, also aligning on our principles. And so now that there's some funding at the federal level to support things like the digital divide, we're going to be working at the state level to make sure that 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 money is going into the hands of the groups that have been working on the ground for decades to try and bring about change, to try and close the digital divide and increase access to virtual care. April, I've really enjoyed having you on the show here and being able to talk about a litany of issues, some of them that have been longstanding and plaguing the healthcare industry and you being able to provide your insights. I guess if there was anything else you wanted to pass along to our audience of medical marketers that you think would be meaningful for them, I would, I would want you to have the last word on that. I would say collaboration. You know, rising tide raises all boats. I don't think that hims and hers has all the answers. I don't think that our coalition has all the answers. But I've been so inspired by what I've seen at this conference. And I love the fact that this is an opportunity for people to work together. And I hope it extends beyond this conference because there's so much work to be done and we all have a role to play. Excellent. Well, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on it. And thank you again for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.